Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Unloaded podcast. You're once again joined by Mark and Graham and our regular guest, Anthony Colley, New Zealand's number three precision shooter. How are you, Anthony? Yeah, good. Good. Mark is here, but he's eating an ice block, so he's muted himself. He reckons we won't even be able to... I'm here. Oh, he's here, he's here. Uh, <laughs> I'm gone again. Yeah, we try and ban him from eating, but um, he's he's a boomer and it's hard to get that shit through to them. <coughs> So tonight we're going to talk about, um, obviously we'll, we'll catch up all that, but we're going to talk about um, some of our 223s we're using for uh, competition and training and um, sort of keeping costs low-ish. Uh, we can talk about Anthony's recent two trips to Australia for rounds, the Melbourne and Tasmania rounds of the Australian PRS, and then a few things to close after that. So what's everyone been up to? So Anthony, any new toys you've been hunting, you've been um, practicing, what have you been up to? Uh, not much hunting at all. A um, little bit of practice and a couple of new toys. Uh, what finally got? What new toys? I uh, got my Henderson trimmer. I did. So I have seen this. This is quite a weapon. Yes. So as we all know, brass prep is one of the most horrible things in the world, and trimming and chamfering and deburring is probably the most painful part. And what used to take me probably an hour to do 100 cases now takes me four minutes oh that's um <laughs> I, I trimmed about 150 the other day and it, <laughs> it took me hours so and uh, anyway that's um i'll be sending my brass by courier mark you, yeah. you just, i i do your reloading anyway sorry I, I doubt you've trimmed a piece of brass in your life intentionally i have yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway finish your ice block um I didn't, uh, I mean, that, that trimmer, it also puts a perfect um, chamfer on the inside of the um, case mouth and the outside. Um, so it's it's quite a tool. Not cheap, but it's if you're shooting as much as you, it's probably definitely worth it. And, and I imagine the trim length is absolutely bang on every time. Is that correct? Yep. Once you've, uh, it comes with a heap of different pilots and cutting heads and um, these sort of bolts with a, with a lock nut on it. So once you've set your... Yeah, I think it came with eight or something of them. Um, so once you've set the bolt length for that case once, that's your, the stop effectively. Uh, once you've set it, it's, it doesn't change, so you can just spin it in and out when you're changing um, cartridges mm-hmm. and goes back to where it was every time, so it's really fast. So you could have one for your 6BRA, 6 Creed, 6.5 Creed, 300 Norma, ready to go, you just pop it in? Yep. Okay, yep. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty awesome. Then five, well, not even that, probably 30 seconds to change the cutting head you know, to whatever calibre. Cutting heads are calibre specific, so 6 mil, 6.5, 30 cal, so wh- 338. Yeah. So why do you choose that one? What other, what other options are out there? Or is this sort of, uh, um, sorry, yep. <clears throat> I think this is, this, is, this is basically it. When it comes to if you want the best, fastest yep. trimmer, this, this one's it. So just yep. bypass, bypass the rest, went straight to it, you know, if you... Every every review I read, if you do large numbers of of brass, this is the way to go. Yeah, it's, yep. it's certainly known as it's the cat's meow, and there's nothing really better out there from what we know. So cool. I mean, hey, if you've got if you've got the uh, the funds and and the need, I think I'd, I'd like one. I, I'm probably too lazy. I don't trim my brass often enough to to, to get one. But um, ma- hey, maybe you should buy one, Mark. And when you don't use it, I'll just grab it. Like your other yeah, that's again. that's normally how the process works. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you do it every time, Anthony? Uh, I do now. Yep. Yeah. 
but before so, you were just like yeah so now that it's so quick do you do it more often is that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, was, I was probably trimming every three or four firings but you obviously chamfering and deburring every every firing yeah. but now i'm yeah, just yeah, yeah. yeah you're doing it all every time it takes no time at all so it's good that's neat mm-hmm. oh, what are any any other any other um new toys coming Oh, new chassis. The C4 finally turned up after months and months of waiting. So quite, I was quite happy about that. So it only um, came out this year, didn't it, really? That, the C4? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's obviously a mission to get it here in that time anyway. So um, Yeah. Sorry, have you set it up pretty happy with it? Or? Yes, it's, we've got a gun on it. I shot it um, last weekend at, down at Boundary Creek for... Well, one day had the two to three in it on the Sunday, yeah. um, and I'll do a bit of like quite a lot of training in the next week with it with the two to three, and then a little bit with the BRA, getting ready for the um, for the finals over in Aussie and stuff. And if if I like it, I'll you know, well not like it. I do like it. If I'm used to it enough, I'll I'll run it, and if I'm not, I'll go back to the whiskey. So, yeah. so for those listening, it's it's KRG Jesse the latest and greatest um so what's different from the whiskey it's got a big magazine it's got a big blocky um where you insert your magazine and then it's got a big um, barricade stop there um yeah so the the four ends are sort of a little bit more lower profile so it's lowered the whole gun down to a lower center of gravity mm-hmm. four ends a lot longer um comes standard with an enclosed four end so with a built-in sort of thumb shelf and yeah, that type of thing. Um, yeah, magazines got adjustability. A uh, magazine well's got adjustability, but pretty much every which way you can think of. Yeah, the the mag release up down. You've got front to back pressure. You've got side to side pressure as well. Um, everything can be adjusted on it to get it with the feeding being on. Um, the grips are a little bit different. They've got sort of a built-in thumb shelf on it to ensure that you have to have a 90-degree trigger press. Um, the rear end's fairly similar in terms of adjustable length of pull, uh, adjustable can to the buttstock, adjustable height of the buttstock. The whiskey didn't have the height adjustment. Oh, no, it did, but you couldn't do it on the fly. This you can all do as you go. Um, and adjustable bag rider height as well. So basically everything you could adjust, you can adjust on it. And the difference between the whiskey and this one is the whole chassis is one piece. So it's been milled out of one big block of, of billet. So. That's that's reflected in the price too. That is a freaking not a cheap piece of kit. Holy no, no. US dollars, but... it's 19, 1900 US dollars. Anyway, well, it's, but again, look at, if you, that's one one piece of billet, that's a substantial cost, but um, pretty neat. It is very It is very cool. Initial thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I, the whiskey's still very good, but this is, yeah, different again. It's just the balance points are quite different to get used to because it's, little bit longer especially the forend is so much longer so if you're running the bipod right down the end like you can't actually reach it that's how long it is so mm-hmm. um just a few yeah a few little things to get used to but yeah i've done a few rounds through it now over the weekend and i'll do a lot more over the next sort of week before i head off and i reckon it'll be ready to go 
Yeah. So, yeah, that's about, that's about it for new stuff for me. Oh, yeah, just a casual, like, five and a half grand with a ship. Cool. It's, um, mm. I'm looking forward to um, Delta, Delta 5, something, something, Delta? So, no hunting. I, I, actually, there was a slight bit of hunting, so I was up at, um, we're up at Mark's doing some dagging. No, not dagging, what we're we doing, um, docking. And we, <laughs> we went... We went down back to um, another range and we did some 22 and stuff, fucked around for a couple of hours and then come back up. And a friend of ours, who I won't mention, but he's definitely, definitely wasn't on the podcast with us last two weeks ago. We get up by the wool shed. Again, the people who shoot in the events uh, will know the wool shed. And I look over behind towards where the long drop is and I see a bunch of piglets and shit running around. So, oh, pigs, pigs, you know. And, and our, 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 our nameless friend, who's also a sponsor of the podcast, <laughs> he reacts quickest, grabs out his three oh eight in which he was dicking around with earlier and it wasn't sort of doing what he wanted. And there's this this quite a large sow walks out and he goes, Oh and I was like, Are you sure you're good? I was like, the range at three hundred meters, right? Easy prone, the pig's not moving, no wind. You sure you're good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. The pig just walks off, runs off, shoots right underneath it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like it's the, it was the easiest shot ever on a pig at Ahatiti. Don't worry, us hunters will sort it out for you. No, <laughs> man, he was embarrassed, and we didn't. Oh, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't. I didn't really let him forget it for the rest of the day. Oh well, and if you're gonna do, and then if you're gonna do that, you might as well um, compound it by getting stuck later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then we went. Then when there was a, there was a sort of a rogue deer running around by some targets. So I thought we'll go look for the deer. And, um, but it was quickly it was quickly voted on that uh, our friend he would not be the one shooting at the deer because <laughs> we weren't sure he'd be able to hit it. Um, anyway, uh, deer didn't come out. And then yeah, later on he uh, got his vehicle stuck on a flat track, um, which uh, he'll be he'll be loving that we're telling people this on the podcast. But that's what happens. Uh, other than that, that, that was sponsorship. It's all good sponsorship. <laughs> it's good sponsorship. No such thing as bad publicity, Graham. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was it was it was still good fun. We had a laugh. Um, but I've been doing a bit of practice. A lot of twenty two. I've uh, been going up and we've got a bit of a field twenty two course set up in one of the ranges up at uh, TD. So I've been doing a bit of that. And um, and then as for new stuff in, I've got in a Delta a Daniel Defence Delta Five Pro have a play with see if I like some sort of upcoming stuff that could possibly happen um, we took that out production class on no our production class is like $400 or something so I don't think it comes under um, Mark and I took it out on was it Monday night or Tuesday night anyway but weather all day I was looking at the weather it's going yep <coughs> there's like you had to get a tiny tiny bit of showers heading through the area it's going to be mint and then it just it was just fog and rain pretty much non-stop all evening. Um, so we managed to get it zeroed. It shot a pretty good group um, with my just bulk-loaded ammo. I used in all the 6.5 creeds. Quite a good group, actually. And then we just did some basic. Mark shot it out to about was it 500, 600, whatever. You... 600, boom, straight away. Yeah, piece of piss. And, and then I was just doing some stuff off some props between um, the rain. So we didn't get the session we wanted on it. Like, we'd sort of we're planning so um that'll happen this weekend and we'll we ran some speeds and it's it's reasonably set up now so we can start actually testing and seeing how it goes but um initial thoughts was it's good i tell you what that area 419 muzzle break is 
quite spectacular. Uh, that works really well. And it's also toolless, so you can just, you don't need any tools to put it on. It's just got like a weird, um, not weird, but. That'll be one of the lowest recoiling 6.5 CMs I've shot for a while. And it's, uh, yes, and it's. Virtually it's, nothing. And like, it's not it's, even it's, heavy. No. It's not a he- like the whole. It's not a heavy gun. No, and so it's um, <clears throat> impressive. Again, air, most of you listening to this were not Area 419ers. They make pretty high end, um, well thought out precision rifle accessories and parts and different things. But, um, and yeah, tallest to put on. You've just got like this little nut you hand tighten, and it, that sounds bizarre, but um, their engineers are obviously pretty smart when they've designed this, this locking system, and it works. Um, which is cool. Uh, yeah, I just chucked the Delta Fire, uh, the Delta Striker on it. So, as Mark pointed out, I've got a Delta on a Delta. Um, but yeah, so we'll moving forward with that. We'll see how we go and potentially use it in some comps and stuff. But that's that's it um, for the last couple of weeks for me. Anyway, so getting into the first topic of the night, we thought we'd talk about, and we may have touched on it previously in one of our other fifty podcasts, but um. Oh yeah, we're into repeating ourselves territory. That's fine. At least, at least the audio will be half okay on this one. And we've got Collie now, so people actually care what he says. Um, so we're going to talk about our, our precision two threes essentially. So um, not so much talking about um, your basic hunting two threes, more so uh, faster twist, big scopes. Again, you can use your your hunting one for this, but. Um, so we've been for the last few years. There's been a few competitions, not many, but a few competitions that are two to three specific, um, you know, sort of precision um, or field or whatever style. And then also, uh, definitely for me and Anthony, that's for sure, and, and Wes and stuff, um, training with two to three barrels in our comp setup. So same chassis, um, same optic, um, but obviously the smaller caliber. Um, and then Mark, you run. You've got a lot of two to threes, but we talked about it freaking heaps. But you run an MPR, a Christensen's Arms MPR two two three. Um, your one you use competition, but also again a lot of pest control. Also, truck gun. Yeah, truck gun. As you're on your um, driving around the station and stuff. Well, probably. So I've got another one too. The um. Have you even 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 shot your other one, or is it just yeah, yeah, it's yeah, on yeah. permanent yeah. Uh, lease? It's a lend lease arrangement with. Mr. Hordy or Mr. Darren. So <laughs> it's a Howler Mini. Yeah, action um, and a TSPX chassis, the Australian ones. Yeah, so so Collie. With a, with a Helix. Mm. So Collie, before you fall asleep in the background. Mm. So <laughs> you've been, did you have your, before before we, you know, we ran the 223, um, practical 223 at RTD, the start of this year, which was proved to be popular well attended very competitive uh, can't remember who won but anyway um before that event came about you had a 223 barrel for your setup did you i did did and were you using it for practice or more for, for shooting pigs and shit or i was using it for practice because at that at the time i was running my hybrid then so 223 barrel for that for practice and then six metal or whatever i was doing you know for the competition stuff more so yeah. for the fact you could just put like four times as much ammo down range for the for the same price or oh yeah like it's if you if you want to do a lot of shooting um as practice you god you go bankrupt doing it doing it with your six or your six five or whatever plus barrel life um, yeah yeah so yeah we've i had that at the time which you know and then as we've 
once we've evolved on, I've just kept my 2 to 3 the same as my other mm-hmm. guns as well. But, yeah. So you're using, you're using factory and hand-loaded ammunition in yours? Um, current one, I'm using mainly factory ammo. Um, GGG um, bulk ammo out of Lithuania or somewhere at the moment. Yep. Uh, it's loaded with a 69 SMK and it shoots bloody good. You've used it in your gun, I think, as well. And yes. it shoots well. And I shot a little group with your gun, and it was um, about as small as a group can be. Actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it, it does perform well, and reasonably cost-effective too. It comes in, um, in ammo tins. And um, and I guess yeah. another, like you said, the the, 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 the lack of... Well, I mean, it's still going to wear, but shit some sometimes we'll run like 20 rounds in reasonably fast succession through the two and three and we just you're not that worried about it whereas like if that was the six you'd be going oh that's a bit bit much in practice or something you know so um, yeah you have no you have no issue if you you know if you barely letting it cool down and it's still warm to the touch you just go shoot another 10 round string and none of us think anything of it who gets you'll probably still get six or eight thousand rounds out of a barrel and it'll be fine I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have a clue on how many mines shot now to be I wouldn't have a clue but it's many thousand and the accuracy is still uh, very good I guess you know it still shoots tight groups right so um, and it has not been yeah looked after or cooled down or so yeah it's um, it's a pretty yeah I think one. mine my current barrel's up to about 4,000 rounds I've never cleaned it you've only had that barrel for like not long at all. Four months, five months, <laughs> thousand rounds yeah. a month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. If, if that was your twenty-two, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've been doing a fair bit of work lately. So, like, so I've read some, like some, you know, some of the sort of the, the big-time um, social sort of celebrities and shooting, and they sort of, oh, you got to train with your equivalent caliber and not so much dropping down two to three but i see a lot of merit in using the two to three now you run no break or suppressor to give yourself a little bit more recoil whereas i run the suppressor which was more so because when i had my own range at home it's a, it's a couple houses within like <coughs> 600 700 meters in the opposite direction i was trying to get the noise down but um i see i see quite a bit of merit in it um as a training caliber I don't, the one thing I don't really get too panicked about because, but no. it's just yeah, it's trigger control, it's you know recoil management, it's it's everything, and um, I see it more valuable than twenty two long rifle anyway. So as you touched on before, like my uh, two three now is an exact replica of both of my six mils, so it's, um, it's barreled action. I put it into the either one of my chassis, uh, same scope same trigger everything's the same effectively it's the same gun weight balance everything is identical apart from the fact i don't run a muzzle brake on it um for training and that's just because of yeah recoil i want to mimic the recoil out of my six mils and a, a bare muzzle two to three with that ammo seems to be exactly the same as a muzzle brake on my six creed um, do you run recoil was do you run a suppressor or a brake when you compete with the 223? Yes, I put a brake on it. It shoots a little bit better with the brake. Um, and once again, like 
uh, I'm competing, so why not? Yeah, you're the, you're there to play a game. And win, yeah, eh? yeah. Um, yeah. So you can. Uh, so again, the sort of we ran the uh, the the two to threes at RTD at the start of the year um, in quite windy, challenging conditions. You right now. One thing I think handicapped two things I think handicapped you that day. Um, you shared a rifle with Wilkie, so your gun would have been always hot. Again, it's yep. not as bad as 6mm, but I think that would have been an issue. You also, your the ground's quite hard that time of year. You were running the Sierras, the factory ammo. Um, yep. Splash might not have been as easy to see, whereas I was, I was using the ELDMs. Splash was excellent, so I was able to make a correction quickly in the wind. Um, now, fast forward to Boundary Creek, there, day two, you performed uh, quite well, I understand it. Um, uh, I believe it was just a, a race for second for everyone else. So you changed to hand-loaded ammo for that event, did you? I did. But you also hit um, the target way more too. Yes, so the we won't talk about Saturday now, but Saturday was very, very windy. We were shooting our six mils and bigger guns and whatnot. Um, like really tricky wind, like twenty five mile an hour wind most of the day, and the Sunday was when we were two to three day was basically five to eight mile all day, very very consistent breeze, and we were shooting the exact same course of fire, so all the same targets, same distances. We just re ran the ten stages again with two to three, um, so it's a hundred rounds, targets out to seven hundred and thirty meters, I think, and yeah, I'd drop four shots for the day with the 2d3 shit that's pretty impressive and but man those 70 i was running a 75 eldm and like, i hadn't tried very hard to do a load for it like i hadn't i've never bothered um and i did it on the uh, weekend like week before we went down and all i just sort of guessed at a powder charge loaded them long kept shortening them up until they wouldn't touch the lands and then back them off half a mil and there was my load development and they and they just shot probably you know half inch a little bit better and didn't realize how good they're actually going to be um until you use them in a match scenario and man uh, yeah two three is very very capable if you load for it with a good projectile and the the handful of shots i did drop the four like was one was at 720 meters and I saw that, yeah, really, really easy. As good as I'd see my, my six mil. And the other shots were a little bit closer. And that was, um, that that long one was just wind. I just overcompensated the wind. And the three other shots were me just being a bit of a spastic. So, I um, mean, they were on close targets that I shouldn't have missed. And um, so, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered if I saw that or not. But it's, yeah, really, really capable projectile and i think i had them going about 29.90 or something like that so they're fair going they're moving pretty fast and yeah a lot better than than the sierras yeah the bulk stuff we use for training for wind and splash and all that so i think going forward if there's any other two to three comps i'll definitely be running that same load because it's yeah why would you put up with the not seeing anything yeah when we shot the last round of the Oh, might be the last round. Yeah, the um, the Precision Rifle Series NZ. There's a guy in our squad, new guy, and 
I might have mentioned this already, but I just assumed you're shooting a 308 or a 6.5, whatever. Didn't even didn't even think about it, right? And new shooter, and he's like, boom, shooting. You're not allowed to give corrections or, or calls. So and I can see his, see this little splash at like 700 meters or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, I can see a little bit of splash. I was like, I can see it. It's not, it's not mental, but I'm seeing it. And then afterwards, you know, new shooter, he's like, oh, do you see where I was going? And I was like, yeah, you're over here or something. I said, man, I, I said, what? I say for a six-five Creedmoor, that's not splashing that well. He goes, "No, it's a two-two-three. And I thought, "Oh, actually, that's pretty fucking good for a two-two-three." And then it was—he um, was running the seventy-three LDM, which is, as, as a lot of people know, is my favourite projectile for two-two-three. Um, but um, that, that was at seven hundred metres in wet-ish ground, which normally soaks up bullets. So um, can't really complain. Again, I would not intentionally take my 223 and compete against six mils and six fives or something but um i'll tell you what after sunday i would probably i would not have an issue shooting that 223 of mine against six mils or six fives because man it was good you should shoot it at Torado in the teams match well we're actually thinking about it because <laughs> they were it was that good yeah, like, one piece of th- one thing I would say, like I would rather you do it because it'd give me a better chance of beating you. I I ha- imagine Tirada will <laughs> have about six to eight inches of long grass. Yeah, and that's and that's where that projectile you will not see it. I don't imagine unless the sheep have happened to chew the paddock down. No, I don't need to see it. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, don't, actually, fuck it, run it. Actually, yeah, run then, it. If, then if you <laughs> and then you still still cream me with your um two to three. Of course, yeah. <laughs> give Graham false hope. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> When you run the numbers on that that load I had with seventy fives compared to my slow little um, BR that I was running on the Saturday, like for wind, you know, it's only a couple of tenths in it. It was crazy. You know, it's not too different. So when we sh- we did a uh, we did a practice session, I don't know, a month six weeks back, you and I, and my data with my two two three a seventy three running reasonably quick um, was quite comparable out to like four fifty five hundred meters as your BR. Hmm. Um, yeah, so whether by yeah. coincidence or I'd bug it up my zero, I don't know. But yeah, the two to four Valkyrie's back. Two, no, day two to four Valkyrie, Mark. We'll, we'll get round to it once the trigger starts working. And they shoot. I got this. I fixed it. Oh, I did you? What about the shitty mags? Oh, didn't fix that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Next question. <laughs> okay, so well, that's cool. So um, okay, so I'm definitely going to cancel the two to three class at our TD then. And, the reason being, if I cancel it, then I'm still the champion. Forever. What do you reckon? Nah, about? Run, run it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I figured you'd say that. <laughs> I'm looking at the trophy right now. Um, luckily, we don't have to... We get to keep the trophies. You don't have to give them back. So at least I'll get to keep that. Um, uh, anyway, so moving on. So I run a, a, a sort of similar thing. Um, uh, I just swap a Howard barreled action out in my... Current. Good description, yeah. Current. A similar thing. Yeah, yeah, but again, not as Gucci as, as Collie's, but same thing, I'll run my same scope, same same chassis. Similar, similar as a barrel and yeah. a trigger. And yes. with the suppressor, it makes the balance the same because the 2-3 the is a 24-inch barrel rather than 26. Um, we did a, again, we did a session recently, or two sessions. Uh, I definitely performed far better on the second one, but the 2-3 was going, albeit a very calm day, was going great so like oh moa is slightly over moa targets at 400 meters um it was it was doing fine 
Now, you still had to break a good shot and everything, right? This wasn't prone shooting. It was um, supported positional and the like. But um, I see there being a big merit in the cost reduction. Um, what about you, Mark? Because yours is, again, we, we touched on it. It's more of a hybrid. You use it. You've shot some comps, several comps with it. Done well. You actually outshot Anthony um, back when that was a possibility for any of us. And... But you also spend a lot of time on your two to three culling. That's the difference. Yeah, I shoot it a lot, so like, it's not overly. I don't think it's really an accurate gun. Like it's not. I will say massively tiny groups or yeah, anything. From two to what Collie said, he made a super easy load. Again, has, he's got a very good barrel. Shoots a hardy rifle. He's got a good barrel. Good, good uh, high, high quality barrels are generally really easy to load for. The how is very very easy to load for, and you can't really go wrong. But your Christensen's arms was the pickiest two to three I've ever seen in my life. Mm. We tried dozens of different ammo types in it, and we just happened to get lucky. We had like ten rounds of the PPU, and it loved it. The PPU match. Um, but you must shoot like fifty to a hundred rounds a week through that gun, just on pests and pigs. And, yeah, pretty much. Um, yep. So when it comes to using it in a comp, you're super familiar with well everything about it. Um, yeah, and it runs for it. It's always been a flawless operating gun, so it doesn't have an issue with feeding or anything. So Yeah, nice trigger, nice bolt. Extraction's good, yeah. Good mags, 10-round mags. You've got yeah. several mags. Three mags. So it's, it's just um, like anything. I could swap the scope for one that's dialable and all that, probably. But so you're running currently the BDC? A BDX 2.01 here, a 3 to 18. Yeah. So, but, I mean, it increases speed on targets. Um, but at the, as I've always said, the downside is wind so no no windage <clears throat> yeah yeah that's gonna complicate things especially with with a six five or six mil you might be like ah i can do just hold half a plate to the right or something but with the two to three it might be a plate and a half or something so it can be a bit harder just to make up and the, the, there is this one downside to running as anthony said hey i could just run it in a comp we've had issues in the past and this is mark of um of it being run in major comps and spotters or stage arrows not calling impacts that are impacts so yeah leads to a very confusing stage yes and 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 so so that you know and they're their words law right so that can be a handicap for it um we have a fair amount of target indicators but generally in a, a match that's going to be more so like six fives and three oh eights we don't have them on everything because they get moved easy to see um we are retrofitting some of our targets to swing better though so that could potentially uh, make that yeah. a bit easier yeah um yeah any any, any closing thoughts on 223 as a um anthony uh-huh. there's a video of you guys shooting on the interweb there from last weekend was that two two three? It was, yep. Was it, were they just not calling? They called it impact, impact, and then it was just all silent. Was that? Oh, because we moved away. The spotter and the scorer stayed in one spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, I assume. So, yeah. You didn't look like you were struggling, but no, no, so that, that no. was Sunday. Yeah, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah so, that's Sunday. Yeah. So that, that was. Well, um, I was just wondering if that was two two three because it seemed like um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guns were barely moving, sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, to, to be fair, like the two three was on my C four. It had the muzzle brake on. Yeah. It weighs 
almost nine kilos. Nine That's kilos? Almost. <laughs> wow. Simon's fucking, he's, boy, fell out of his chair, I guess. <laughs> well, as I said, it's an exact replica of my mm. actual match guns and... So, well, no, they're actually 8.7 kilos, so the 223 is exactly that also. 8.7 with an empty mag, bolt-in, scope on, ready to shoot. So, probably 9, almost 9 with a loaded mag. 8.9. Yeah. I mean, that, and if you're there to play, like I mentioned, you play a game too, so I don't imagine there's a lot, if any, unsupported shooting in those South Island matches. That's not uh, not not that one, but there is some of the others. Yeah, but so like if if you you're going into a match and you know it's it's prop based or prone, if, if you run your gun heavy, you run your gun heavy. Now yeah, if you do 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 a different match and there's like a bunch of standing unsupported and sitting and kneeling and okay, you, you might need a different setup. But play it's a game in it. As much as I can want everything to be super practical and. Yeah, I'd I'd take the advantage I saw over any unsupported stuff. So, just yeah, the stability and weight looked great. Yeah, I don't think. um, Well, my main thing for Sunday was to try and get used to that configuration for the upcoming matches that we've got. So I just wanted to run it like that. I could have just put it in. Yeah, I could have put it in in a Brava or anything, and it wouldn't have made any difference probably to how it shot and recoil was because it's braked after all um but yeah it wasn't really the goal like it was no. really to, to get used to it and i've got to sh- yeah i'm going to be shooting heavy gun for the next couple of weeks so i've got to get used to yep. shooting heavy gun yeah let it go Graham. no no what i'm saying is i think it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah i still haven't done tripod rear support but i've been doing other things so. yeah. <laughs> more, more uh sitting on my feet rather than crossing my legs and, and kneeling and stuff like that. Anyway, so, if we're finished on the 223 thing. Yeah. So, Anthony, is again, last time he was on, I think it was last time he was on, talked about his first two rounds in Australia. Uh, he has since done, uh, he, uh, he's since flown over and done two more, which he's done rather well at. Uh, the first one being the Delta Steel Apocalypse in Melbourne, and the second one being the PRS Roaring Forties in Tasmania, uh, which were the last, not not last two rounds because there's one more in, in the Northern Territory, I believe. But yeah, so um, so thought we'd talk about that. It's pretty interesting, you know. Cool trips to Australia, traveling with rifles. It's it's interesting. It's fun. Things go wrong. Things go right. So the Delta Steel Apocalypse, Anthony. Uh, yep. What happened? Tell us about your trip. Right, so this is the trip after the Sydney trip where I'd come second there. So I was going back with quite a lot of confidence and I'd been super organised getting my paperwork done this time after the first time going to Melbourne was a bit of a stuff up. Um, So there's no issues with that. I got it all three weeks early. Um, Was really organised, put in a lot of work. Um, yeah, staying with people that I knew over there with BJ um, this trip, so pretty close to the range, we're only 40 minutes I think away from the range and he's got a range at his place so, turned up there on the Thursday left um, oh, just the usual bullshit leaving the country with the scope and my carry on because I take the scope off the rifle and every trip they try telling me I can't take a scope and my carry on and so that adds a bit of 
pain for no reason until they go and talk to their supervisors and realise that it's all fine and then I'm on my way. Um, so I got there with no issue, got through customs with no issue in Melbourne, um, as long as your paperwork's in order it's fine and all 14 pages of it this time was uh, good to go. So I uh, got uh, stayed at BJ's, got there Thursday night and we shot at his place all Friday, uh, he's got a pretty good setup. And oh, apart from I'd loaded 250 rounds of ammo on the Wednesday with the aim to, to you shoot 50 at home, you know, clean the gun, shoot 50 to foul it in and get my dope sorted and get my, yeah, get a rough zero even though the scope's coming off. And so I loaded that and went to shoot it at about 11 in the morning the day we're leaving on Thursday and I had to be at the airport at uh, 12.30 I think so I was like oh, I'll just go shoot it quickly and it shot like shit <laughs> so <laughs> this was the tried and true load that that 6 Creed always always shoots well with and I thought what the hell um, panicked went back home sort of looked at what I thought what have I done what have I done what have I done looking at the boxes of 110 A-tips and I realised that I'd, I was into a new batch of A-tips so I quickly measured I had a couple of old ones there so I quickly measured them um, for length and you know, touch length and stuff like that and they were almost a mil longer and the touch length was half a mil different so basically I just changed everything that the gun had liked without knowing it um so at that point, all I could do was make them shorter. So I quickly just banged some shorter by 0.15 and then 5.1 shorter again to see if it would shoot. And the ones I'd, the ones I'd shortened up by 0.2, it quite liked that. So it sort of got it down from about an inch and a half to about three quarters. So I thought, all right, I can live with this. I'll just have to take it all and deal with it when I'm there. So anyway, so we got to BJ's and I said to him, oh, you know anyone with a six creed die? Because I just need to shorten up all these rounds. Um, do a bit of testing on Friday. So we, we borrowed a die, uh, shorted them all up to that 0.8, uh, sorry, uh, 0.2 shorter, um, and shot it, and it was all right. And this was, I was, I was going to pick up uh, the, the TMB over there, my TMB that I got, his tuner muzzle brakes. And so we chucked that on and basically managed to tune it down to a one-hole gun, and it fired a few shots out at 500 um, to check the data and see how it was grouping out there and it probably shot like an inch and a quarter group at 500 metres so I thought this is tidy you know full of confidence um, ready to go so that was the Friday so the, the initial stress of sitting on the plane knowing that I had 200 rounds of ammunition with me that the gun hated um, quickly turned into now I've got 200 rounds of ammunition that are going to shoot exactly where I put them so that was quite good um, yeah so we pissed around on Friday doing that went to the range Friday afternoon to get the matchbox as you do because you can on Friday at these matches you can go and zero your guns and have a bit of a practice at the range they put out a couple of targets for you to check your data on and then at 4 o'clock they give you the matchbox for the weekend so I grabbed that and went back to his place and had a bit of a read of it that night and yeah, realised that it was going to be a match that was going to be very, very fast. Like Times were very tight, high round count stages. Um, 
the targets weren't particularly small compared to the other matches, which was good, but they're trying to get you with movement and time on this match. Um, also, the match was ooh, 18 stages, I think. Sorry, 19 stages long over two days, so pretty high round count match. Um, yeah, so I've studied that Friday night. Uh, made a few notes and stuff that I would have had to pay attention to and then yeah, rocked up there on Saturday nice and early and got stuck into it. Mm. Have you, I'm say, have you two muted yourself because I can't hear anything? We have. Oh, no, we're we just have. listening. <laughs> I, I've just, I've just had a power cut, so if I drop off, I'll say goodbye. Right. Okay. I'm sitting in the dark currently. Carry on. Right on. You must have a solar-powered computer. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so we started pretty. I started pretty good. Um, I can't even remember what stage we started on, but. Went well, dropped, I think got got through, uh, there was two unsupport, fully unsupported stages at this match, which I'd um, done a little bit of work on after the Sydney match um, with Simon to improve that, and sort of really paid off because I did quite well which was quite, in this, which I was quite happy about. Um, and the rest of the stages, you know, dropping the odd point here and there, and didn't time out on anything, which was good. Gun all worked as it should. Um, data was good. Uh, apart from dropping one on skill stage two, which I wasn't happy about, because that's the one we sort of practiced the most. That's the one I thought you'd be uh, by far the best at, because the target's usually probably a bigger on that side of thing. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a pretty big target compared to, it's normally one of the biggest ones you see out there, but Oh, I think I, it, it was just one of those, I was, I was hitting them and then I just probably wasn't reading the plate swing enough and the wind was dropping off and I was still holding on the left edge and the plate was swinging more and more to the left and I thought, no, I've still got, you know, I'm still sort of point two in from the edge that, yeah, that one's fine, small correction, but then the wind just died on one shot and I just sailed down the left edge. And, okay, yep. And I was like, ah, bugger it, but never mind. <laughs> so, it happens. It happens. And, yeah, they had a good mix of, um, I said, a lot of movement. A couple of stages of fully unsupported. Uh, a couple of tripod stages. Um, a little bit of prone sprinkled through it. And I'm just skimming through the book looking for a standout stage, but it's... Uh, how much prone? So, how much prone do you generally encounter in these Aussie matches? Like in in the field stuff that we run, be it twenty two or or centerfire, whatever. Prone is uh, <coughs> less common than than not. So, how much are you doing over there? Yeah, there's they scatter scatter a bit through it, like you. Don't find too many fully prone stages. Might be one or two out of like 18, maybe one that might be fully prone. And then a few of the stages, you might have every second stage might have one or two prone shots in it. So, it's, and they'll make them quite hard. Like one, I think, 
I may have posted a video of me shooting a stage of sort of like an A-frame with some pegs on it and you did two shots through four positions, eight shots, and then you finished with, uh, I think that was on a target at 400 metres or something, then you finished with two prone shots on a uh, 60 millimetre target, I think it was, at uh, 280 metres. So fairly little. That, that is little, that's perfect wind call kind of oh yeah the target measured sort of point one uh you know between point one and point two is pretty pretty in the scope so pretty little so if you're off on your wind you were you're missing all data and unfortunately when i was doing my data for that stage i was looking i think i can't remember what it was say one point uh 1.1 or something off top of whatever won't be that but it was was saying 1.15 or 1.25 or something, and I was like, oh shit, like, am I going 1.3 or am I going 1.2? And the data had been trending so perfect all day, I didn't have an indication if it was trending high or trending low, so um, I thought, oh, I'm going to go 1.2 and see how that goes, and I hit the first shot, and it swung so violently up, and I didn't click at the time. I thought just because it's so small, such a tiny target, and of course it'd been hit all day, so you couldn't see where you're hitting. And then the next shot uh, went under it, so I must have clipped it right on the bottom. Because um, if I'd hit high, it wouldn't have swung so violently. As soon as I sort of stood up from the stage, I thought, oh shit, yeah, the first one would have hit on the bottom, but um, couldn't really tell, so I dropped one on there, but. Yeah, so I can't. I think after day one, I think I dropped eleven or something for the day. Um, I think we shot ten stages, nine or ten stages. I dropped about eleven shots. Uh, later, I dropped maybe seven, I think. And yeah, so I was sort of there within, yeah, within the the top sort of few again. After the first day, so that was all good. And then into the second day, um, everything went pretty similar, actually, and ended up um, ended up in second, I think, five or six shots behind. Uh, oh, I think it was Lucas. God, memory's terrible. It's quite a lot. <laughs> and, and then third was one point behind me. Um, yeah, Ash was one one shot behind me and then fourth was a couple of shots back from that and fifth was a shot or two back from that so pretty tight first to sort of eighth as always um and pretty much the same margin as sydney match i was second there about five hits behind our first Mm -hmm. and i think it was five or six at this one so similar margin but different person yeah um and we didn't end up shooting all 19 stages because the day had run quite slow so i think we dropped three stages out that they ditched um for the day and it wasn't any of the unsupported ones which they that they dropped which is fine because i love that shit now so <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone else didn't they hated it so i was i did, did quite well i think the eight round stages and one i got six on and one i got seven on so it's quite happy about that and, yeah that's a, a it's a serious turnaround from um even just back in june yes like you'd be like what do you mean you've put unsupported in open class yeah and then oh i reckon i'll embrace it everywhere now because i practice it all the time yeah and and, i Um, mean and that that unsupported was easy 
Yep. And like, eat, like now you'd be like, who cares? Let's, let's hit the fucking thing. But yeah, um, yeah, it's funny how things change. Eh? And obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tool in your, uh, in your, in your belt now that's proving to be very valuable in the Australian series because it appears a lot of them don't do it. I'll uh, leave you there because I think my UPS is going to die. All right. Good night, mate. Okay. See you, mate. Yeah. So it's um. Worthwhile, eh? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's an advantage, and and when the competition's so hot, like over there, uh, it's so tight, and that sort of top ten, that any advantage helps. So that's where it was after the Sydney match, where we had that one really hard unsupported stage. Um, yeah, un- unsupported shooting at five hundred meters, uh, and the average score I think was three, and that out of nine, and I got two. And the guy who won the match got one. Mm. Um, and I think the top score was five out of nine. And I thought, well, shit, there's... that was hard, really hard, but there was an opportunity there to do better than everyone else. So um, I think I joined at the, the, the Delta, at the Steel Apocalypse one. I think I joined top scored those both those stages on both days, so... Yeah, definitely worth the practice and the effort. And uh, yeah, thanks to Simon again for his time. And his sling. And his sling, which <laughs> I have still got. <laughs> I think he'll need, he'll probably need that for next weekend. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, br- I'm bringing it back this weekend. Oh, yeah, weekend, no, sorry, so. you're, you're coming from. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he'll have it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that match. So, yeah, second again. So that was quite good. So they, um, um, they, they do trophies to the next level in australia don't they the trophies are just so yeah, rad pretty epic and the, the steel apocalypse one is pretty epic yeah it's, um yeah graham you, you you saw them when you're over here one day and you're like holy that's yeah. cool <laughs> yeah. they are uh they are very very well done um it, it's actually given me a few ideas for super steel a few things but anyway cool but moving on, so you second man, you must be pretty happy with second. That's um... yeah. Well, the, the thing I was happiest about with well, yeah, obviously second was good, but I I ditched my shit score from the bucking match, the first match, and for the series because yeah, the series is cool coming yeah placing in these matches, but the overall goal is the series over there. And so the, they've got seven standard matches, I think, for the season. And then your top two scores for... You can shoot all seven, but then your top two scores go through to the finale. And you start on that score effectively in the finale um, for the for the series. So ditching the... And that works on a percentage of your... Much like the Spark Rimfire series is. The winner gets 100. And... Uh, like second I get my percentage of the winner's score so I think I was on 96 or 97 or whatever percent of the winner's score so that's the points I get so I then had a 96 or 97 and a 95 or something from Sydney um, so I managed to ditch my horrible score of 70 or 67 or something from Bucken when I didn't have, when I couldn't get my rifle over so that's what I was more happy about <laughs> so yeah. I sort of went from 18th in the series up to 3rd or 4th. Um, so that was, yeah, that was pretty good. And then 
yeah, they had another match up in Darwin, which I didn't go to. Uh, I don't think anyone in the top ten in the series went up to that. Um, yeah, no one did at all, so there was no chance of the schools of the series schools changing. And then, yeah, I didn't need to shoot this Tasmanian one because it's the top forty shooters qualify for the finale um, out of the series, and mathematically. We couldn't really move up or move down anyway, because even if I'd won at Tassie, um, I wouldn't have caught the the guys ahead of. Well, I would have. I probably would have. I could have moved up to third from fourth. But Ash and Lucas both had um, two wins each, so they were on the two hundred. So yeah, and there's only one match left. So I, the best I could end up on with was, was one ninety six or something like that. So so if I so my I'm. Re, no, I wouldn't say reasonably well sure I should be doing several of these with you next year you're yes. saying I should shoot the Northern Territory one where none of the where none of the top 10 go apparently no one ever goes up there um, it looks fucking hot <laughs> it was very hot I think this year the, I think this year while they're shooting it was like 32 or 34 degrees or something and yeah and, and this was this was t- <laughs> this was six weeks ago yeah yeah. It, it just doesn't change all the the locals who come down to shoot the other matches they say well it pretty much stays between 30 and 36 degrees all year up there and either it's just raining in the summer it just rains all summer and it's 35 degrees or it's 35 degrees and it's dry all winter so it's right. yeah but backwards but shorts and t-shirts and a lot of red dirt and <laughs> um so, so Tasmania. Uh, yeah. Again, we before this we talked about it. You're the first person I know who's actually been to Tasmania, and uh, Mark <laughs> told again Mark's run out of power for some, some reason. Um, so he's gone, but uh, it's New Zealand with kangaroos. Um, apparently, Tasmania. Yeah, uh, definitely different landscape to to the mainland over there, and, and I'm sure anyone who's listening will know. But yeah, there's a bit of topography. There's a few hills and few more trees and interesting stuff and yeah a little bit more wildlife we saw a dead fellow deer that someone had hit on the road on the way to the range and about 5,000 dead wallabies and I'm not actually sure if there's kangaroos in Tassie there's a lot of wallabies might be the roos there as well don't know anyway lots of wildlife um and yeah pretty cool spot I yeah I hadn't been there I was keen to do this match, whether I needed to or not, just to go to Tassie and have a look. And um, so, yeah, you're actually flying well, from the North Island. You, you're flying south a little bit to uh, southwest to sort of get there because latitude-wise, it's about the same as Canterbury. Yeah. So you're flying. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> it was. It was. It was pretty cold there. And the the thing that the, this match was different because basically all the ranges on the mainland, apart from Darwin, um, you're sort of hamstrung where you can shoot, you know, legally. You can only sh- shoot these matches on the government ranges. And most of them are only 500 metres. Um, so the, the Steel Apocalypse was, I think, furthest target we had was 470 or something. But they get you with target size and other stuff. And the Sydney match we went out to five ten, and the Buckingham match we went to five hundred. So and the the Tassie match went to uh, eight hundred and thirty was our furthest target. So um, definitely more similar to New Zealand conditions. And the range itself was brand new, like a, literally the the 
concrete pad and the roof had been finished like the week before the match. Um, it was in an area, a sort of uh, gum tree plantation, and it just been an area just been felled, and there's a heap of slash and stumps and just shit and long grass out on the range, which didn't look too bad until we fired a few shots on practice and realised that this was going to be hard because you got no feedback at all. If you missed and hit the dirt or hit the ground, you nothing, no splash, mm-hmm. nothing nothing moved. It was just disappearing into the shit. Um, the only targets that had a berm, it's still a square range, effectively, because um, they all have to be, but the only targets that had... Uh, any feedback with three targets. There were six targets out at 800 metres or further, and three of them on the left had a berm behind them. Um, so you can see a bit of splash there. Everything else, nah, there was nothing. So, uh, yeah, so getting there, it was direct flight from Auckland to Hobart. Um, nice and easy. Actually, Not take mo- long? Uh, longer than to Melbourne. Yeah, three, three hours 50, I think, oh, to right. Hobart. That's right. Yeah, not too bad. And very small airport, obviously, when you get there compared to the big mainland ones. And so going through customs was uh, not quite as painful as it can be on the on the, on the bigger ones. But I was, since I had this direct international flight to Hobart, I was the first person to ever take a firearm. <laughs> so, and cause when I was waiting at the bag carousel and, yeah, um, asked a couple of the customs officers, oh, where the firearms come out? And they said, well... Bug it if we know. Like, it's the first first time one's come out, so we don't actually know. You know? So, okay. So, yes, they said, oh, just, just hang around, make sure it doesn't come out on the bag carousel, because they're not supposed to, and we'll go looking and see if we can find it. And um, after about half an hour of us all looking around, no one had found it yet. So, um, we went, carried on through into the back room, as you do every time you're flying with the firearm anyway, to to go through the paperwork and they want to look at the firearm and so they started looking at the paperwork while another couple of customs officers were trying to find the gun and it had actually been dropped out in the domestic baggage claim just on the floor what? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it had just been sitting out there for half an hour unattended um, unattended yeah which was fine so it was locked obviously lock case but so they found it and brought it back and they're like oh shit we uh we'll Make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, but just the baggage handlers didn't know. Well, if I'd never, if I'd never, no, nah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, pretty relaxed. They had a look and um, did all the paper, yeah, photocopied all the stuff as they as they normally do. Uh, took passport and firearms license and all the paperwork into the. And I must say, the paperwork getting a gun into Tassie is a lot simpler than all the other states. It was literally two forms, yep. like two pages, compared to Melbourne, which is like thirteen. Um, so a lot less painless for that, and the turnaround for permits was only like two weeks instead of six weeks, so pretty good. Question before you move on, when it so flying domestically, so I flew with a firearm on the weekend, um, I have to take my bolt out and store it in my um, checked luggage. Separate yes. from the locked case. What, what's the what's the go moving into the different states in Australia? How does the firearm travel? Bolt, magazines, ammo, etc. Um, it'll be state by state depending on 
we go and it'll outline that in whatever permit you're applying for there'll be a little section or which state you're applying for a permit in part of the information from that state will tell you how they the expectation for how you transport and store your firearm and ammunition and some require uh, well they all require obviously the firearm to be in a lock case with a bolt out um, bolt in your, in your carry-on but some require your magazine to be in a separate locked hard case as well um, like as a separate bag so the few of the guys flying internally or domestically in Australia like they have a little mini pelican case like a little hard case with locks on it and that gets checked in and that's purely just ammunition and they might have their bolt and stuff in that as well um, so very similar to here. Um, Air New Zealand's pretty relaxed about it anyway. You know, check, checking in to fly internationally with firearm is pretty much the same as flying domestically. So, Do you try and fly Air New Zealand to make it easier to Australia? Yes. Yeah. Rather than Qantas or something? Yeah. Yeah. I know Definitely. a guy who had a... Uh, it's kind of on topic. Shipping some um, semi-automatics back before they got banned. Um World War Two guns, and they the plane stopped in Australia before it came to New Zealand. They're coming out of the UK or something. They, well, I can't remember the exact details. They viewed the manifest of the plane, went on, confiscated the firearms. Yeah, because <laughs> they weren't like permitted to go through Australia or some shit. But anyway, that's even if you're even if you're transiting Australia, if you're flying to Africa to hunt and you're transiting Melbourne or something, you need an export permit for your firearm even though you're literally not leaving the airport and you'd never see your gun but you still need an export permit for your rifle and ammunition for it to then legally be able to leave australia again and it might only be there for an hour that's ridiculous isn't it? <laughs> yeah you think they'd treat it like an international so anyway um it's politics and airport rules so that's that um okay so that's interesting though that it's reasonably similar to because moving the firearms domestically in new zealand it's it, it seems like it's going to be a hassle, but when you do it, it's pretty straightforward, and they're pretty friendly and polite. So it's good to hear it's similar going to Australia. Yeah, it's the same thing. When you before you're flying, you just need to ring them up, tell them you're taking a taking a rifle. And sometimes the person on the phone will be like, "Oh, you're allowed to take a firearm to Australia," and you just have to assure them that yes, it's fine. I've got all my paperwork. You know, it's just the same as flying domestically, and they'll put you on hold to check that that is actually the case, and then it, then it's fine. So it's no issue. Alright, so we've got you've got to Australia, you've got yep. to the little airport, and then what? Yep, yep. So we got to where we're staying. It's picked up by uh, Sean, uh, one of the South Australian guys who'd driven for all the way from um, Adelaide, I believe, down to down to Hobart. How, so how do you drive there? Oh no, and you get on a ferry or something. Big big ferry on the yep. best straight. <laughs> yep, yep. The the spirit of Tasmania, and I think it takes eleven hours because that's a fuckload longer than the cook straight just looking at yeah. the map that's it's okay that's it's, it's an 11 hour ferry ride oh imagine if the weather was bad <laughs> Jesus that's, that's a big but it's a big boat though man yeah. it's bigger than our ones yeah yeah okay so your mate picked you up that's cool yeah mate picked me up um so we got to where we were staying airbnb about half an hour out of town half an hour from the range and so i got there and unpacking and all that stuff and we're getting ready to um this was Thursday afternoon and we're getting ready to um, go back pick up some other guys from the airport in the evening um, uh, Guy and Jane also from South Australia and I was feeling I was thinking 
where the hell have I put my passport? Like, it's not in my pocket, not in my file with all my paperwork. I emptied all my bag. I was saying, pretty sure I gave it to those border, the, the customs guys to photocopy. Oh, it'll be here somewhere. Didn't find it. Long story short, they'd left it in the photocopier. <laughs> and and <laughs> Hobart Airport, eh? <laughs> and and they had to um they had to review the CCTV footage to figure out where it had gone and they saw the guy putting it in the photocopier and didn't get out. So anyway, so we spent all afternoon trying to find that and had to go to town to pick it up from, from the um uh, border force office in town. So that kept me busy for the day. <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, so Friday, Friday rolls around. We go to the range at um, 12 o'clock. We're there nice and early. Basically, no one else was there. Um, and for zeroing and registration and stuff like that. So, got all signed in um, without issue. They were a bit surprised to see a New Zealand firearms licence when they asked you for your licence. Like, where the hell? Where, where are you from? Like, New Zealand. So, Have you, have you got the new licence or the old one? No, the old one. At least you've got the new one. I think it was bloody fake. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they wanted they wanted to see um, my other paperwork, my permits and stuff like that to the make ra- sure it's all legit. The range did? Yeah, range. Yeah, they're very, very strict. Gee, squares, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh, this was... Yeah, the Sydney one was bad, but never mind, that's another story. And so did all that. Sweet, got the gun out. I'd had... So this trip was with my new uh, BRA. Um... So I was pretty confident that I'd not buggered up the load for this because I was using the same batch of projectiles, not like the last trip. So everything was fine. Um, I was shooting good when I left, put the scope back on. Zero was one click to the right, so I moved it one click left. It zeroed really well. Um, and because we were there so early, we basically had clean plates at 800 to shoot at. So I quickly darted to the other side of the range because you had to move along to shoot it and got my data at 800 and it was just smack on. So yeah. I was like, nice. yeah, this is, this is going to be a good good weekend. Um, and so, yeah, we did that. And Saturday turned up to get stuck into it. And once again, another match with... Um, Pretty little targets, lots of stages, 18 stages. Basically, the time for every stage was 105 seconds, mm-hmm. so minute 45. And most of the stages were 10 rounds, a couple of 11 rounders, a couple of 8 rounders, like skill stage 2 and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, we got stuck into it. So I started the day well. I think I dropped one shot on three stages i think and i was feeling pretty confident at that point then we sort of had stations like we just moved down stations so three stations per stage for the day uh, nine stages per day um went to the second station and it just went to shit what went to shit yeah just everything the um conditions had picked up because obviously we were shooting in the morning and at this, by this point, we realised that the, it was tricky to see. If you're missing, you weren't going to see it. Um, the plates were pretty small. Plates were way up high on Waratahs. So you could basically watch your trace. If your recoil management was good enough, you'd watch your trace and you know, until it sort of disappeared into the backdrop. And um, that's all you had to go off and so we're picking wind off mirage and it was switching it was just switching everywhere like it was sort of a tailwind and there was a big hill behind the range and it was either coming one way around the hill or the other and at one point 
or multiple points through the day, you'd be watching the trees on one side of the range sort of blowing left to right, uh, right to left, sorry, and then you'd be looking at the other side of the range and the trees would be coming the opposite way and you're like, oh shit, and then everything in the middle would just be a big swirly mess. So it was not easy. You're adjusting your wind call almost every shot um, for the weekend. And if you're missing and you didn't know what to try or weren't bracketing or you know doing doing everything you could you would just you'd miss everything and i had one of those on what was our stage four which was actually stage nine uh called triple eight which was eight rounds 100 seconds uh one target at 800 meters it was a 40 centimeter target so 0.5 mil so pretty big um just under 2 ml well what's that about 1.75 moa um and you had to engage the 800 meter target with one round from eight of the 10 marked positions so it was shoot move shoot move shoot move eight times and you had 10 positions to choose from and for the life of me i could just not work out what was going on i think i hit the second round um and I was just all, you know, trying different things. I'll get a hit, I'll do the same for the next shot, but the conditions had changed. And then back to the drawing board. So my hits, I think, I was leaving, to, I was holding like one mil left and I got a hit. And then my next hit, I think I was holding 0.6 to the right. And then I'd miss a few. And then my third hit, I pretty much held dead centre. And it hit dead centre. And all the other ones, I was just like, I was following up what I'd just done and missing. And yeah not having a clue where it had gone so it was just hard and so it's just luck really and then the other two stages from that station i got seven out of ten seven out of ten i think or seven out of eleven and seven out of ten um so pretty bad so my early confidence had just fallen to pieces yeah um and then we moved down to an back to the start of the range which was stage one which was skill stage two and i thought here we go this is this will build confidence going again so i've rocked up first position kneeling shot you know had my thought i had my wind hold i was like yeah hold right edge um watch trace just sail straight down the right hand side of the target <laughs> <laughs> thought damn like there was clear right like the grass under the target was blowing hard right to left but I actually watched the trace veer sort of left to right away from the target. So I thought, oh, I'll just hold centre for the rest of it. And and I'd sort of, uh, at that point, lost interest in the, in, um, well, yeah, the guys watching me said, shit, you just sort of sped up significantly. I was like, yeah, I was angry. Yeah. <laughs> so I did it in like 43 seconds, I think. Yeah. Um, and it hit the next seven. So I was pissed off I dropped one, but then at the end of the day i felt quite good because there was stories out of the other squads with you know pretty decent shooters getting ones and twos on skill stage two ones and twos and threes yeah and just because of the conditions if you couldn't see it and couldn't see your trace you were buggered <laughs> um and that was the that was the story for the whole day so we carried on like that um after day one i was oh fair way back the leader was on 102 hits and i was on 92 so 10 hits back which is quite a big margin 
with that type of shooter. Um, and I believe I was in sixth, fifth or sixth. So I wasn't too happy. Um, and then the second day shot quite well. Conditions were similar. Um, I got more of a feel for them and just had a pretty good run. And they put they put the top ten shooters in, in the same squad on Sunday. So it was quite a tense sort of environment because everyone's really competitive. And, you know, you turn around. If you're the not shooting, you're the next shooter. And if you're not there, everyone else was just on glass watching, trying to watch conditions because we all knew roughly what we'd be doing for wind holds. And... Uh, yeah, in different conditions. So if someone was missing left, and you're like, "Oh shit!" That you know, you knew what was happening, but it didn't matter because by the time you shot, if they're holding left edge, you're off holding right edge anyway because the conditions had changed. So it was um, it was good. So I managed to claw a few back and ended up in third uh, once again, six points behind the the winner. So seems that's, to be the trend. That's a very good recovery. Yes. I believe the leader from day one was not the winner, though, correct? The leader from day mm. one ended up second. Yeah. And the guy from second on day one ended up in fourth. Yeah. And so the person who was in third on day one ended up winning. And, uh, yeah, two other guys in front of me ended up fourth, fifth, and sixth, I think. Yeah. Did, three other guys, yeah. Did they... At, so they have a, I believe they have a dinner on the Saturday night, do they? They do, yeah. Do they talk scores on the Saturday night? They do. They do a halfway score readout, um, normally down to the, I think, normally the top 10 they yep. read out, sometimes top 15 if it's a bigger match. Yeah. And not everyone agrees with it. Some of the, couple of the top guys absolutely hate it. They prefer to so not the, know. The guy who won, I follow yes. that Australian stuff, and hearing an interview with him, he doesn't like knowing. No. Um, now, myself, I've not done many. If only one, two day, but sort of match, and I was sitting good at the first day, um, and it just absolutely ruined me on the second day, knowing that my points were good. Yes. It didn't help that you were winding me up. Which yeah. I, which I now, now <laughs> which now this is in the early time part of our friendship. Now it doesn't bother me, right? I, I know the game, the, 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 but um. Uh, it, it really it really fucked my head because I was like man I'm like a couple of points off the lead I was sitting in third or something or second or third I can't remember and yeah. and it's just and then I'll drop a point and I'll go fuck I can't afford to drop that point you know I'm, I can feel myself going backwards and it, it just it, it mentally just tore me to shreds on easy shit too so um I quite like knowing where I'm where I'm sitting. Like I'll track my own score. A few of them don't. They don't bother keeping their well. They sort of do, but they won't track anyone else. I'll sort of track everyone. Um, anyone who's going well, I'll just keep track of that myself, and then you know keep a running tally as as you go. Just just so you know. Um, which is when you're going good, it's good. But when you're going badly, it's not good because then you do have that mindset that you know like on by the end of day one i was not too happy because i knew i'd slipped a fair way behind um and yeah like and over there there's 
it's a lot more it's a lot more competitive like the scores are a lot tighter than they ever are over here and there's a larger pool of people at that at that top end so one or two hits makes a massive difference uh, and to be 10 behind after day one i was like oh that's that's it i'm gonna end up i'll be lucky to be top five now well i mean here you can sort of We've got a couple of classes, but you can you generally got a feeling like if you're doing well, you're like, yeah, I'm probably in in the run for the win. Yeah. Um, last time you and I shot in the same squad, we both had a really bad stage. Your one nearly lost you the comp, and my one did lose me the comp. Um, but yep. before that, you're thinking, fuck yeah, I'm looking pretty good, right? You you drop like a point a stage or a point every other stage. You're thinking, yeah, I'm I'm sitting around ninety percent, ninety five percent, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you drop that that stage and turns to shit real quick but um so the the thing is though like that you've got 10 or 15 guys that are sitting around instead 90 of, or 95 percent yeah instead of like <laughs> instead of three yeah. yeah yeah and so one yeah one hit here or there doesn't seem too bad for your own score you think oh that's good and and also because everyone's shooting effectively within 80 meters of each other you can watch everyone all day if you want because when you're not on the gun you don't have to do anything because they've got dedicated ROs and spotters for every stage. So you, you shoot and you can do whatever you want. So if you've got some downtime, and normally pretty big squads, like 10 guys per squad, so you've got time and you can actually wander down and see what else is happening. So you can watch literally everyone um, at some point of the day. And so you know, you sort of get the feel for it. You can go to and talk to people, you know, how you guys getting on. and You get a feel for what the hard stages are and the easier stages and what's tricky and what's not before you even get there um which is good and bad because you know, if you turn up to a stage and everyone else is saying oh i've got threes and fours and you, you're sort of expecting to do quite bad on that stage already yeah um which isn't a good thing um so it's, it's a whole another mindset to get to get used to i found like um and just the cluttered environment like you know over here you're in your squad of five or six or eight guys or whatever and you're cruising around you don't really see anyone else or another squid just in passing and it's quiet and you're, you're doing your own thing over there just you know you're shooting within 10 meters of another shooter most of the time 10 or 15 meters um yeah there's people yelling out and talking all around you there's constant noise it's hard to keep your focus um and they like to keep it moving quickly because yeah you've you've got dedicated arrows and spotters so if you're not shooting you're standing there ready to shoot and if you're not standing ready to shoot, you're getting ready to shoot. Um, and if you're not ready, you know, they're t- giving you the hurry up. Come on, get up here, get shooting. Um, if you understand the cause of fire? Yep, right, you're into it. And away you go. Um, so it's it's quite fast-paced. It's, it's very, very busy. Um, and it took a little bit of getting used to. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm used to it now and it's good. I feel comfortable um in that in that environment but definitely the first couple of matches i was like well this is a this is different well i mean it, like the our major centerfire events should at the firing line at the long range challenge is probably nearly a kilometer long 800 meters long yeah ish you know um uh, it's, a, it's you know it's, it's a long distance even the, the our mid-year event that's still probably 600 meters 500 meters yeah, so like, like the Sydney the Sydney match, the range was hundred meters wide, I think, and there was eighty shooters. Yeah, and you're all there under the roof, 
Yeah, and you got so you got eight squads shooting at once. So you got eight people within earshot of you shooting all together, and yeah, people people from the squad next to you calling out impact, and you're like, shit, was that my arrow or that arrow? Or oh well, you know, it's um, it must be noisy. It is very noisy. Yeah, you running plugs and EMFs? Yeah. Yeah, and you're under you're under a roof too, so it's extra loud. Yeah, everything so sort of echoes. Not a suppressor in sight. <clears throat> nope, everyone's got a muzzle brake. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and that was yeah the 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 yeah anyway back to the Tassie match, but it was a cool match. It was um, really interesting. Course of fire. Um, uh, George Cross, the match director, he's very, very experienced shooter, shot in the US and stuff, I believe, before. A um, lot of movement, a lot of target changes, pretty small targets, the average target size, probably, I don't know, 80% of them were probably 0.4, so 1.5 MOA. Um hard to get a read off the plate they're very solid targets they didn't really swing that much i, I did hear some complaints that they were quite a heavy year didn't yeah. show a lot of sign no they didn't they didn't swing much if you were you had to hit them right on the edge to see them clearly swing yeah and so it was just it combined with that with the conditions and the and the lack of split lack of feedback in general from the 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 terrain that you're shooting into and the and the targets it just made it tough um and yeah the trees around the range sort of didn't really give you because yeah the wind's whipping over the tops but you're just swirling around underneath and we're basically just watching mirage every shot you know picking which way the mirage is going and it was definitely not the match to have the br at you, um, you should have shot your six creed yeah 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 100 percent. would you because you were relying on um, trace and such, would you be better even with a wider bullet, like a six and a half? Or yeah, yeah, just trying to. Pick there was, it. yeah, there was a few six fives there. I don't think any featured in the in the top end, but they're not that popular over there anyway. Mm. Um, Plushy, who ended up first, who's shooting a six Creed, and Ash was shooting his BRA in second. I was my BRA. Uh, Lucas in fourth was his sixth dasher, and Guy was in fifth was his standard BR. So you think you would have been better with the Creed more, just that bit extra velocity, and maybe yeah. point, point, yeah. one, point one better on wind or something? Yeah, point one to probably point two even at times on those long targets. And yeah, when you when you're trying to guess effectively because you can't see anything and you're just sort of making those educated decisions about bracketing and you know systematically working your way across the target like if you're it just buys you a bit more margin yeah and i reckon um and although the trace on those slow sixes are pretty good as well to spot and of course, you've got the your lower recoil, so it's easier to spot it at the closer targets because the the long targets wouldn't have been an issue with the six creed. But we had a handful of targets around three hundred meters, and even they gave you no feedback. And you're watching the trace on them. So on a six creed at three hundred meters, you're only really going to catch a glimpse of it because it's getting there so fast and a bit more recoil. But BA, you can sort of watch everywhere. Um, so yeah, if I if I'd known what the range was like, 
I would have taken was six creed. Yeah. Whether I would have done any better, I don't know, but I think I would have I would have found it better in those conditions. Um yeah, and the, and the course fire itself was a lot of movement and target changes that didn't sort of flow with the movement. So you'd, like, say, you have to, you'd start from a position and you'd gauge four shots from one position. It'd be three on one target, one on another target, and then you'd move position and you'd fire two on that same target, then one on the next target. And then you'd change position again and fire a couple more at a, or one at one target and then come back to one of the other ones and shoot one there. So it wasn't like your traditional, um, if you had five targets, you weren't just working out near to far. It might be like the first target, then the fourth, then the third, then the second and the fifth or something. Um, so you had to stay on your toes and a couple of stages were actually that hard, like complicated the arrows had to hold a map of where the targets were in front of your face while you're shooting <laughs> um so you could follow it because you just couldn't remember it and you couldn't write it down on your dope cards because they're just not big enough you take up half your arm so they were holding holding a board out with the target map on it and you'd, you'd just sort of look off to the side of the scope like you're shooting f-class at electronic tape you shoot and then just sort of once you'd seen what what your bullet was doing you'd um, or tried to, you'd quickly have to be pointing at this little map, working out where you're going, and then finding it out on the out on the field. And unlike most New Zealand matches, none of the targets are labelled, so you just got all these targets out there, like twenty or thirty targets, probably thirty targets, and they'd be like, "Oh, you're shooting the square at six hundred metres," and you look out there, and there's like five squares at a similar distance around 600 metres, and you're like, oh, yeah, which one? <laughs> no. Some of the, uh, I might be wrong, but the US, the, the PRS there, they've got numbered targets, a lot of them. Yes, yeah, some, some do, some a lot don't, though. Yeah. And, yeah, so at least sort of in the Aussie ones, when you're on that square range, it's sort of going to be in, in what they call your lane. Yep. So whatever's sort of directly in front, but it's very, very easy to you know, jump on. And you can actually, if you're running fairly low mag, like 15 or 16 power, most targets you'll pick up at least two or three targets in your sight picture. Yeah. And it's very easy to engage um, the wrong one. And, of course, over there they call impact or nothing. So if you're engaging the wrong target, they won't tell you. Or if you get out of order, they won't tell you. You just keep shooting and wonder why they're not calling impact. Yeah, because you're shooting the wrong target because you're out of order here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Bob, yeah, as I said, the first, it was a bit of a learning curve first cut, but I'm used to that now. So you just got to really clarify where you are, draw a little map, you know, ask them before you start, you know, is it that target, that target, that target? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're away. Um, so, yeah, no, cool match, real cool match. Um, it's one of the smaller matches. I think it was only 40 people or something. Um and that's a limited it, limited it because it was new range and first time they had a match there. Uh, cool course of fire, um, yeah, and just a cool, cool spot. So that no, was good. And yeah, eighteen stages, nine each day. You know, plenty to keep you on your toes and fairly high round count uh, match. I think it was one hundred and seventy four for the match. So plenty of shooting. And yeah, yeah, sounds, good. Sounds like a worthwhile trip. Yeah, yeah. And also more 
of that level of pra- practice going into uh, what you've got coming up soon. Yeah, it's good because we had you know, quite a big de- bit of a dull period between um, that last match in Melbourne because there's not much happening in New Zealand for um, apart from that one PRS match that we had mm-hmm. at Ohoni. Not much else because everyone's carving and lambing, you know, and that type of thing. So it's quite good to go and do a bit of shooting. Instead of just practice. And, yeah, now now it just gets real busy. Very, very busy. Not, well, for us and for you. So, yeah, that wraps up the two matches. But, well, um, you have a very hectic couple of weeks coming up. Starting, yeah. Well, you're coming over our way to a bit of practice. But then you are jetting off to Australia again. For Is this one in Melbourne again? Yeah, so, well, effectively, the hecticness started last weekend with Boundary Creek, and yep. then, then we're just pushing on from there, so. Um, yeah, quick touch on that match. Um, yeah, Ben, Ben McLeod puts on that match down at Boundary Creek, and it was a really cool match this time. Um, yeah, two days, 100 rounds each day, 10 stages, and it was centre, big guns on one day, two to three on the second day, and they combined it, so both your scores, you had to be eligible for... A placing you had to shoot two to three on the second day, two to three rem, not AI or anything like that. So it was real cool, cool format to have something two sort of complete different matches effectively combined into one. Um, so yeah, sh- shout out to Ben for putting on a good match um, again down there, and yeah, happy to happy to do pretty well down there as well. So. Anyway, so yeah, this weekend got a bit of training going on with you and uh, a couple of others. And then next weekend, I'll be back in Melbourne for the uh, for the finale. Australian final, eh? Australian final. So unfortunately, the only mathematical way that I could have lost a placing in the final... And everyone thought it wasn't. You know, everyone I talked to, they're like, nah, it won't happen. Because um, the person in, that we're talking about, it, it, he's always a very good, consistent shooter, but hadn't really featured in the last matches, sort of in the in the top 10, but sort of lower down. And so it was plushy, and he shot extremely well in Tassie and deserved the uh, victory. But for, that was the only mathematical way I could be bumped down from fourth to fifth in the series was if Plushy won. Yep. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so, so he's on 197 and I'm on 193 or 4 or whatever it is. And Ash and Lucas are on 200. So basically I'm six, no, five hits, I think, behind the top guys um, going into the finale which will be hard to make up because it scored the finale scored at one and a half times um, and it'll be a tough match they'll make it hard you know fast times little targets so what's your okay so you've obviously got we'll talk about what's coming after that too but you're jetting over there what what are you taking BRA six BRA BRA for that because I know that yep uh, well see how this weekend goes if I, I've got to be really comfortable with it mm-hmm. to do it and uh, on the Saturday at Boundary Creek uh, I shot the BRA in the whiskey 
because I wasn't happy with the how everything was in the C4 with the with the BRA and the bit of practice I'd done at home. It had a it was quite took me a little bit longer to get it to settle because it's the chassis so long. There's a lot more weight further out, so you know it's hard to pull it up if you know what I mean. Like once you got the momentum going to get it onto a barricade, it's hard to pull it up and get it to settle. Well, just different. So I've got to be really comfortable with that. But definitely the BRA is going. Um, that range is only 500 metres max. And it's, yeah, we shot there for the Steel Apocalypse. And I would have been more than happy with the BR. Yeah, that range was spec. I'm not, not sure whether to expect a little bit of unsupported at the finale or not. But I'll prep as though we are. Um, but I doubt it. And, yeah, it'll just be, they'll take everything that we normally do and just make it harder. So faster time, smaller targets, more movement. And yep. Because this is, yeah, this is it. This is the finale, so they'll test you. Fuck yeah, it's going to be cool, though. Yeah, it will be cool. So this is it, yeah. Top, top 40 guys there, so everyone in the top five sort of has a chance. Obviously, me and fifth for the series, I've got... Well, not an outside chance, but if to to win the series, I'd have to win by sort of five or six hits or more over everyone, like back to second, which is not out of the way. So it sounds like you should shoot your whiskey then, instead of changing to your C4. We'll see how this weekend goes. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a lot of rounds planned between now and next weekend. I can imagine. Yeah. A lot. Um, so I'll be, I'll be used to it. And I'll, I'll yeah, I'll... The decision will be, it's not, yeah, it won't be an emotional one. It'll be, it won't be, oh, I want to shoot my new chassis. No, I'll be shooting the chassis that I'm yeah. more comfortable with. Yeah, if I can hear that, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. We've got a chance to make a, um, you know, at least, a, yeah, very, very good chance of making the, the, not only the finale podium, but the series podium as well, which will, for, for me, you know, first, first season shooting overseas, um, pretty big deal to me, so I'm pushing pretty hard for that. And there's a small chance to, yeah, that we could go better. Yeah. So, a lot of work's going on. Fuck yeah. And so, yeah, I get home from the Monday from there, so we've got two days, Saturday, Sunday shooting, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, including the practice day at, at Melbourne. I get home on the Monday, have a day at home, and then Wednesday morning head off to the US for the US finale. As well, well so. I, I assumed you were leaving direct from Aussie on the Monday. No, nah, coming home. Could change gear, change guns. Um, there was the initial plan was to send the Creedmoor over well in advance, but uh, sort of bailed on that plan because I wanted to do more testing. Wanted to test it in the new chassis as well, which yeah. I haven't done yet, which will be on this weekend. Mate, not not for I'll have enough shooting done in the chassis, especially by the time I get back from Melbourne. It's more make sure it, everything functions yeah, and like, shoots properly. Yeah, 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 in the chassis. So I'll do that this weekend as well. Um, also the plan is to shoot. Well, not the plan. I will be shooting factory ammo in the US. Um, so I've got to do a wee bit more testing with that just to. I'm committed to it at this point. I just want to get good data before I go. Um, so now I'm just having a few tweaks over there. Yeah, with the TMB, I can tune it down pretty good. I shot it 
as a test match with it at the last PRS at Ohane and it went pretty good. Um, but it's that past 800 metre that's a bit of a doubt at this point. So I'll just get it as good as I can and is what it is. So, um, so yeah, we flying. I'm flying to Houston, taking the gun, no ammo. Um, on get there, we'll leave here Wednesday. Get there Wednesday, still effectively as well. Their time. Um, Thursday we'll drive ten hours from Houston up to via Memphis, Memphis to pick up Fraser and make our way to Finger to K and M. And so and stay there Thursday night and ready for sign and practice day on Friday for the match Saturday Sunday, which will be um. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be cool. Oh, fuck you. Because the, yeah, just, you know, I'm not by any means expecting to be anywhere near competitive over there, especially not with factory ammo um, compared to those guys. But it's just going to be good to see where we land, you know, in the field. There's the top 150 American shooters there and about 50 uh, international shooters so if I can scrape into the top 50 I'll probably be pretty happy I'd say yeah that'd be pretty um, good showing wouldn't it yeah yeah. but yeah realistically with factory ammo and yeah having never shot there before so most of those guys would have shot at K&M half a dozen times they'll know the wind they'll know the props they'll know everything um, it'll, it'll be new to me and just the whole occasion of it will be yes level up again so and yeah especially when you see those top guys um walking around cleaning everything it'll put a bit of pressure on but (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and yeah and then so we drive then drive back to houston monday fly home monday night um get back to new zealand early wednesday morning and then straight into tarada that weekend with hopefully no jet lag. Yep. Yep. And I'll currently, well, this evening I was loading ammo for Tirada for my BR because I'm not going to have time when I'm home. I definitely don't have time once I go to Aussie because I'm not doing it on the day I'm at home. Yeah. Um. So and I'm and busy. And then the weekend after that, got the um, Alpine shoot down at Rakaia. So I'm prepping grass for my PRC a month in advance. Loading ammo three weeks in advance and then loading my match ammo for Aussie probably on Monday or Tuesday. And thank God I'm not taking ammo to the US as well because adding in another 300 rounds of 6 Creed into that, the 600 I'm already loading is, um, <laughs> yeah, this be a big, big few days. Like flat out, man. How cool are they? It is going to be pretty cool. So, I mean, now from, now till the first weekend of December, I've got a match every weekend. So because after a car, we've got speed versus precision mm-hmm. yep. twenty two, and then you're going to get your ass kicked by me somehow. Yeah, I'll be shot at. I'll be shot out by then. I I'm, think I'm this, relying on. I'm relying on you. <laughs> I think uh, by the time we get to speed versus precision, I think that's going to be my thirty second match for the year. Fucking hell, Polly! It's like every other weekend. It's more than every other weekend. It's more than every other weekend because some some weekends, like you know, we've got well, like I, that's counting Tarada as two matches, like a teams one and an individual, and then 
Um, and then, yeah, obviously last weekend at this point for the year is um, uh, first weekend of December being Sparrowhawk um, final on the Section 22 final. Yeah. 22. So, yeah, it'll be yeah, 33 and 34, I think, for the for the year. So pretty bloody busy. At least when you go to uh, Rakaia, it's like all gentle and sitting down. And yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah, nice and relaxing. Yeah, there's waiters that bring a cup of tea mid-stage and little, little cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you're, quite, you're going to be flat out. I would recommend, uh, with the travelling, trying to eat real healthy and so when you come back and, I don't know, fuck, don't get crook. When I, last time I came back from Europe, I got fucking crook for a week and that'll fuck yeah. you up, you know. Um, I, I, it's all, all good to joke about wanting to beat you at Tirada, but I don't want to like compete against you half fucking dead you know yeah ian ian literally literally carrying me on his back between stages probably is what i'm envisaging well you well i think last year you carried him with the shooting so that's a (laughs) fair trade all's even yeah um yeah man you've got a you've got a hectic uh i hope you're good at scheduling i'd be fucked trying to get all that done yeah, no, we're um, we're busy, 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 busy doing that. Obviously, permits and everything have been taken care of for a long time. Um, yeah, a lot of planning had to go into the US trip. Um, obviously, organising ammo and flights and accommodation and every yeah, it's hard because it's not like the Aussie ones where I just yeah know quite a few people now, so I just jump in with yeah, bunk in with them and don't have to worry about a car because someone will pick me up from the airport and someone will put me up at their place and. And it's all pretty easy, but going over there, you know, especially, it's, yeah, just hard, so, and it, yeah, and not knowing, you know, not knowing what to, what to plan for, and I'm a bit nervous about flying with the gun to the US, and well, I mean, we've got a... Australian culture's very similar to New Zealand. Yeah. Similar-ish firearms laws-ish, especially nowadays, um, but US is a completely different culture, they speak the same language, but that's about... That, right so it's um yeah yeah uh, that'll be really good because you know good just a just a good eye opener to the u.s this <laughs> year as well because obviously i want to do a fair bit more next year over in the u.s so and aussie again so it'll just be good to you know dip, dip our toes in and obviously yeah dipping your toes into the finale is pretty pretty extreme but <laughs> yeah that's that's um that's, <laughs> yeah that's going from like a fucking backyard rugby to the world cup so um yeah 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 i'm I'm, I'm looking yeah i'm tired already thinking about it and um yeah there'll be plenty of rounds shot i think between just now and uh yeah god now to tarada's probably going to be 1500 rounds of competition and training that's a month three weeks yeah. Only three weeks, yeah. Is that a lot? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's going it's to be cool. So, obviously, obviously, like my main highlight um, is going to be the, the actually the the Australian final. I think it's going is the one I'm looking forward to the most because, as I said, I've got a real crack of actually being super competitive in the actual match and the season and the finale. The American one will be cool just because it's what it is. That yeah, the the finale. Um, and yeah, 
obviously Tirana and the rest of the New Zealand matches will be cool as well, but it's, um, yeah, that that Aussie one's the main the main thing. So yeah, no, it's bloody bloody good. Fuck yeah, man. Well, and when you get, I mean, obviously we'll talk between there, but when you come back and things calm down a bit, we'll talk about it again on here for those yeah. who are interested. Because <clears throat> um, no, like you look at the dramas you have going to Australia with shit, like let alone the adventure you'll have going through the US and uh, the weird shit you'll see and the funny things you'll do, let alone the shooting. So that'll be a good conversation when you come back. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, well, good luck from us. Obviously, we'll be doing some training before then, but um, go hard, man. And especially in that Aussie one, you know. Fuck, you're the first, I believe you're the first Kiwi to compete um, in that series. Mm. I don't think anyone else has done it. So, apart from people who've like, lived there their whole life. So, um, and, and to do well as, as, as well as another thing. So, um, keep it up. And, um, yeah, well, we might as well wrap it up there because we've been going for nearly two hours. Yeah, um, big one. Yeah, big one was good, though. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, cool. All right, bye, everybody. Catch up.